You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at two episodes of Star Hunter Redux. We're looking at episodes 21 and 22, the final two episodes of the first season. And these are the episodes Travis and Resurrection. And I'm going to just do the synopsis uh, for both of them with a brief dramatic pause in between them. Starting with Travis. We start following the events of the previous episode, although many hours or days have elapsed. Dante has Caravaggio using a probe to see if they can pick up the trail of the raider shuttle that has taken Percy. Dante, a man whose life has been defined by the grief of the death of his wife, Penny, and the abduction of his son, Travis, at the hands of the raiders, is barely holding it together. He has still apparently not heard Percy's original message left with Caravaggio when he, about her returning soon. Hours after her departure, Percy is allowed to send Dante a message telling him she's okay, and she gives a cryptic message to Dante about searching his quarters. Dante searches and discovers two things. First, that his penny walkman, the device he uses to communicate with an imperfect facsimile of his dead wife, is missing. And second, that there is a small vial of something left behind. They quickly figure out that it must be seeds that his old friend Marco was trying to smuggle. Percy has an audience with Zephram, the leader of the raiders, who turns out to be Travis Montana. He's weird different, clearly influenced by the Divinity Cluster. He claims to be able to see all of time. He wants to consult with his mother through the Penny Walkman. Unfortunately, while he has the device, Dante keeps the data disk on his person at all times. The device is useless without Dante. Research turns up connections with those seeds and the orchard. They appear to be a planetary atmosphere seeding project that could terraform any dead moon or lifeless body. The raiders want them. Dante bargains the seeds with Seneca of the raiders, who gives all the appearances of actually being the leader of the raiders. Seneca is also the man Zephram calls father. Dante meets Zephram, and they use the Penny Walkman, plus a little divinity cluster magic, to talk with the real Penny, who, it turns out, was both an evil, immoral orchard researcher and seemingly the only orchard operative that wasn't permitted human subjects. So she experimented on herself, accidentally contaminating her unborn child, Travis, now Zephyr, which explains why he's special. The news that his wife was just as awful as the rest of them crushes Dante, but hey, par for the course, right? Zephyr sees everything, he says, but clearly he doesn't. He has a plan. Seneca has a plan, too. It involves killing all the other Montanas and also using the seeds to colonize the Earth. Now that Dante has found Travis, Tosca is on the way, so Lucretia comes to the rescue of Dante and Percy. Zephram knows Seneca will kill Dante and Percy, so he goes along with them to keep them safe. And then we move on, dramatically, to Resurrection. Eccleston's back, and he's doing a lame open mic rendition of the classics. 
That is, until it becomes a magic act and he disappears in a puff of smoke. Navare and Tosca now know that Eccleston is back. The raiders are attacking and crippling the Transutopian, but suddenly they break off their attack. Seneca has made a deal with Tosca to allow the orchard to capture and extract Zephram. Seneca proceeds towards Earth to release the seeds and terraform Terra. Zephram sees what will happen. Millions on Earth will die. With their main engines damaged and communications out, they can neither get there in time nor call ahead to warn the Earth. Percy has taken this whole Dante's got his son back and he's raider scum rather poorly. Lucretia tries to lend her an ear, but Penny is still just a bitch to her. And she's a bitch to Zephram. And she does her usual I can't really be bothered to try to fix the ship properly nonsense. She is an unchanging constant in this mixed up universe. Perhaps that's why Eccleston chose to materialize in her quarters and proceeds to tell her nothing before disappearing again. Meanwhile, Dante, captaining a crippled ship and incapable of stopping anything that's happening, is reminded that that's not good enough by Zephram. And they get into a fight. That was fast. Percy tries to tell Dante about Eccleston, but he doesn't believe it. Lucretia manages to send a high-security warning to Navarre, but Tosca hears it too. Travis tries to talk to Percy, but... She hates him. He's raider scum. Dante and Percy have a brief talk about her problems, and Dante finally decides it's time she moves on. Keeping it classy, Dante. You finally got your son back. Your adopted daughter can just go away now. Lucretia decides to join the resistance. Wait, there's a resistance? Eccleston shows up again, and this time Percy brings him to Dante and Zephram. He Vulcan mind melds them and explains more or less that the aliens behind all this will soon resurrect into the entire human race, and he's decided that's a bad thing. They warp drive to Earth just in time for A. Lucretia Navare, a.k.a. The Resistance, to be captured by Tosca and Navare being killed. Maybe. B. The Raiders arrive to terraform the Earth. C. Tosca orders first the capture of Zephyrin and destruction of the Transutopian and all aboard her. D. Dante and Zephyrin making a suicide run on the raiders in an attempt for Zephyrin to use his divinity cluster powers to think away the seeds. And E. Failing the capture of Zephyrin, Tosca's forces launch a lethal missile attack on the Transutopian where Percy and Eccleston are still aboard. How do all these threads turn out? Well, Lucretia remains a prisoner. The raiders seed the Earth. Sephram completely fails to save the Earth with his magic. But he does manage to transport Dante back in time to the last moment he was a happy man. Eccleston manages to use his powers to transport the Transutopian somewhere, tied with the concept of whatever Percy loves most. And in the final scene, Dante, Penny, and 10-year-old Travis are in their home, together. One happy family. In a poor man's Twilight Zone ending... This is the moment the Raiders arrived, and it all starts over again. The end. My most important question is, when the Transutopian disappeared, and, and, and Percy is thinking of what she loves most, did the Transutopian disappear up her butt? Because I can't think of anything Percy loves more than Percy. Well, uh, the, mm, the ship disappeared into hyperspace. Hmm. That's the that's the uh, retcon at the end of at next season though, right? When they're trying to everybody pick all these I mean, seeds together, it's, yeah. We, it's pretty. It's well, I can't separate season one and season two anyway in my mind, but um, the I do know that um, 
Dante went into hyperspace. Travis went into hyperspace. Percy went into hyperspace. Eccleston went into hyperspace. The ship went into hyperspace. Okay. Um, well, um, I, I don't know what I was expecting from this. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that the producers were thinking they were going to get a chance to close up some of those uh, cliffhangers at the end. And uh, I can't help thinking that they did not know what was coming next. But because uh, I know enough about the second season to know that uh, that, you know, they were forced to make some changes that they didn't necessarily want to cast make. availability, for example. So um, this does set it up for absolutely all of them to disappear without a trace. They could all be killed. Lucretia could have easily been killed by Tosca. In fact, I wonder if she was. I I kind of suspect that she would be. I don't know why. There's two things I don't understand. Why is why she wasn't killed, and two, why did they kill Navare in the way that they did? Which looked to me like they injected him with a divinity cluster. They injected something into him, and he clipped, and he slipped over dead. Right. He fe- he definitely fell over. <laughs> there is no doubt. I didn't check his pulse to know if he was dead. But I mean, they shot him in the neck with something very similar to what they've been doing their cluster experiments. And, and it just seems like, I mean, they had a lot of guns there and, and they don't seem to be shy about using guns. So it's like, why didn't they just shoot him instead of coming up and giving him a chemical cocktail? But anyway, um, let, let's let's kind of uh, I, I'm not going to really try to differentiate between the two episodes, um, but obviously there were some uh, things going on in the first episode with Dante meeting up with with Zephram and getting to meet. I, I'm going to put air quotes the real Penny. Um, in the one this, who's the one who lives in the fourth dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was kind of. Well, but did she live in the fourth? She does now, but didn't he say well, I sent right, her off right. to he, the fourth dimension? That's right. Yeah. Well, she, that's right. She did eventually go to the fourth dimension, but whatever dimension she was in before that, yeah, that's where she was. Do we think that he is that he means fourth dimension as we understand the fourth dimension time, or is it some other? Well, let's say I looked up fourth, fourth dimension. dimension, and it's uh, the answer I found was space time. Well. Space time, uh, space time is the f- is the four dimensions, is my yeah, understanding. Okay. Okay. The, the whole, the whole four dimensional space time. Kind and of from thing. what I hear, there are at least twelve dimensions. Uh, I believe that is the current hypothesized string theory number of dimensions. I I'm don't go too deep in that one. It just makes my head hurt. Um, just just exactly like quantum mechanics does in the, in exactly the same way that it makes my head hurt. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. But, um, so apparently the, apparently the afterlife is another dimension in the universe of star hunter. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. And, and Penny wasn't there yet. Well, she was in some dimension. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the fact that he can see all, all of time, I don't know. He couldn't track her. I, see, this is this is where it starts to get. You know, it's like I I I I see everything. I know everything. It's like obviously you don't because you're surprised by stuff. I mean, you don't show it, but much. But you clearly don't know what's happening around the next corner. So I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. Whenever he said, "I see all of time," like, well, 
um, if you could have, does that mean you can't change it? Maybe that's it. I see it all, but there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, I I don't know. I also thought that the the sticking stick here to the raider part of this story. Um, so Zephram's their leader. Yes, but he is. I saw no evidence of that other than people said he's their leader. I mean, clearly Seneca was running the show. Oh, I think, as Seneca said, our leader and our guide. And there was also a reference in there to um, Zephyrin being in the council meeting. We never got to see the council meeting. Isn't that the, isn't that the thing that they were holding? Uh, they were holding the meeting and he was saying, oh, now we need to go slow, just as Solomeo came in? That was a different meeting. That was the secret cabal of people that aren't part of the council. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, the idea is that Seneca is the, um, at least the, power behind the, the, throne, the power yeah. behind the throne, maybe. Yeah. But he has, but he, more of a figurehead. Yeah. But, um, but he, but Seneca has that position as power behind the throne because Travis slash Zephyrin has the powers he does. Hmm. So we, they've obviously reformed that impressive space collection thing from so, black, from, uh, from from black light yes yeah they they speculate dante speculates that they're just holding their their gathering of the gathering of the clans yeah but but speaking but, but speaking of black light mm-hmm. but so, but speaking of black light mm-hmm. um this episode provides an answer to one of the unanswered one to one of the questions left unanswered at the end of black light that question is, why did the Raiders let the Transutopian get away? And here we have an answer. And that answer is? Travis let them go. Okay, let's be clear. The kid's name's Zephram. Travis <laughs> Zephram. He let them I mean, go. I mean, that's that's his self-identity. So I, right. I think I think it's only fair to, to give right. him his due. Um, but, uh, I mean... Maybe, maybe I, I I'm not sure they thought that far ahead, but okay, maybe. Uh, I I'm just um, I don't know. It does not feel like they really were they were really weaving a very tight web um, throughout the show. But um, I, I'll tell you one thing though, I I was really expecting an idiotic plan from the Raiders. Because of all the idiotic things the Raiders seem to do, their whole lifestyle thing with the kidnapping kids, when obviously that's absolutely unnecessary and it makes you almost wonder if they just sterilize everyone intentionally so they can't have kids, so they have to keep doing it. But I was expecting a cockamamie plan from them, and they did not disappoint. Oh, what a brilliant plan! We're gonna terraform the earth. And then we'll have a planet. No, you won't. You terraform the planet that that all Earth, all human life came from, that's sitting in the only Goldilocks zone in our solar system. There aren't enough raiders to hold that planet. Guaranteed. There will be a mass exodus of people back to Earth, and you will not have it. It's like you didn't think that through at all. And that's assuming that they really believe that it's going to terraform the Earth. And I think they do. Am I, I'm supposed to get that, right? 
Well, at least some of them. Obviously, if you talk, obviously, um, the power behind the throne didn't think so. He thought it was going to kill everyone on Earth? Because I thought he thought it, the terraforming would work. Well, I get a sense of that, that Zephyrin figured, thought that it was going to terraform, and Seneca said it was going to terraform. And, but by the time we get into um, the end of the second episode, it's fairly obvious to me that Seneca knows better. So Seneca knows that it's going to destroy all life on Earth, too. Why is he doing it? Uh, he's Raider Scum. <sighs> well, that, that that thinks through at the level of Percy, but... Oh, uh, they're Raiders. I mean, it's, these are... What, what do you right, want? right. Yeah, they go commit mass murder. I mean, it's still, it's only millions now, but you commit mass murder on a scale like that? Come on. For for no gain. That's the whole point. They get nothing out of this. They it it If they thought they were going to get a planet out of it, I can kind of see it. If they had some way to make me believe that they could hold the planet, but they can't even hold, you know, they couldn't even hold their thrall on whatever part of the solar system they had for a while they won't be able to hold the planet it's just there there aren't that many of them they might you know i mean they might say hey we terraformed the planet can we have africa and you know you guys take the rest we'll take the african continent or south america or something and and go i can i could see that but yeah it just and then okay so all right. Well, I'm trying to stick towards the first part, so I'll 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 go there. I I and if 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 Zephram could see all of time and knew everything, then surely he would have known how this was going to go. Surely he would have known how Seneca was going to basically betray him, kill Solomea, um, <clears throat> all that stuff. So I mean, clearly, whatever power he has is not as all encompassing as he. I don't know whether he thinks it is or he's just listening to his own press agent. I'm not sure what, but. And, and he knows enough to be wary of his um, raider father. Mm. And clearly a good reason to be wary of his raider father, because he doesn't seem to actually care if he turns his son over to the orchard. Exactly. And the orchards after him, been after him, but the, uh, but uh, Zephyrin slash Travis has been in the middle of the Raiders all this time, and so the opportunity to get to him is when he's away from them. But if they knew that, then they didn't need to pull that bit with Dante in the prior episode to try to get him to make the psychic connection. I mean, if they're doing a deal with the Raiders, then they knew who that guy was all along, or could have, or Seneca knew. So it it just... Like okay, I, I'm I'm utterly unclear as to what 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 anybody's end game was here. So for fine, we'll just open it all up because it all hinges on this. What was Eccleston trying to do? Can come back and issue a warning, try to prevent the um, alien race from resurrecting inside us. Okay, and and how was his warning going to stop that? I guess he was trying to get the word to the right. Try to act through Travis at, and, um, at that point. Or is but that isn't, isn't, isn't the Divinity Cluster in us all anyway, so right. it's just literally a matter of time? I mean, if the, if the orchard weren't poking the bear, it would just maybe happen a little later. But it's 
going to happen. I didn't see anything Eccleston was trying to... Yeah, Eccleston was trying to get them there in time to stop the Earth from being destroyed. Thank you, Eccleston. But I can't see how that thread had anything to do with the Divinity Cluster threat. So that's like two completely different... Two completely different major threats to existential threats. And Eccleston seemed to be acting... Yeah, maybe, you know, just because, hey, this is the emergency that's in front of me right now. I, I don't know. But it, it, it kind of felt like this was all tied together. Like if we could stop the Raiders, maybe we could save the day. But I can't figure out how that was supposed to happen. And did Eccleston come to the Trans-Utopian because of Zephram? And he just missed and he kept hitting Percy? Or <clears throat> I, uh, I, don't, I don't know where they were going with all that. And I, well, actually, we don't know, and we don't know how many places um, Eccleston was going to. He maybe is showing up in some places at random. It's possible. For example, that um, that bar where he sang that harrowing version of "Twinkle Twinkle." That that was a that was one of the old standards. Um, I, yeah, I can't help thinking that that wasn't random because that was obviously where the orchard people were because in the later in the episode that's both where she meets novare and tosca takes them prisoner i also thought it was an unusual choice of a setting is that a spaceship is it a space station it's a it's a space station it kind of looked like a a a bit of a luxury liner more so than the transutopia apparently has a karaoke bar yeah well what what cruise liner does not have a karaoke bar? Uh, hopefully somewhere out on the poop deck. Um, but, uh, so, yeah. So, Penny. Nasty, nasty Penny. Oh, doggone. I, I thought, I really did think it was funny when she said, well, the orchard wouldn't let me have human subjects. Like, Wow. <laughs> what did you do to piss off the orchard that you're the only mad scientist in the galaxy they won't give human subjects to? <laughs> like, um, I'll try it on myself then. Well, okay, Eccleston did that. So, I mean, it's not without precedent that the people working on the Divinity Cluster, and we never really got Penny's motivations on that, right? But we can only assume... That, well, I, I guess what we have to assume about it is that that because they called it the Divinity Cluster, which in itself is telling, because if you found four genes, was it four genes? I think it was four genes. It was four genes, yes. It was four genes. If you found four genes that nobody knew about, I I just can't help thinking that you'd look at them and go, hmm, four unknown genes. I'm going to call those the Divinity Cluster. Because why? You know, it's be more likely I'm going to call them the Eugene Cluster after myself or something like that. But so they call them the Divinity Cluster. That is loaded. I mean, for us, the audience, that's loaded, right? That that says these things. Well, it tells us give, what the person who named it that thinks thinks that somehow that they do something like that so you can kind of see why if eccleston thought that it 
imparted godlike powers, hence divinity, he might try it on himself because that's the kind of thing people would do. Yeah, it's like, oh, this this might give somebody godlike powers. Now, should I give it to this lab rat who might turn and turn me to a pillar of salt moments after I inject him? Or should I give it to myself and then I can get a pay raise and turn people to pillars of salt? You know, I, I can kind of see it. Is that the real reason Penny was experimenting on herself? It's, that's what I guess it is. Mm-hmm. So that makes her worse than even even in this moment where she says, oh, it's just because I couldn't get lab rats. It It is, in fact, really because she's really just as bad as, as everyone else. And then I got pregnant. And and, I, and, and that's a, a, an interesting question, too. The way she told it in the room here, which is supposed to be real Penny, I guess. Yes, it is. She said... I was trying it on myself, and then I got pregnant. And it sounds like she stopped, because I'm pregnant now. Bad idea to be injecting myself with chemicals while I'm pregnant. But I guess somehow it had contaminated Travis. That was what she said. That is what she said. But when Dante was remembering back, she was injecting herself with vitamin supplements because of the pregnancy quote-unquote vitamin supplements and we were supposed to think that was the divinity cluster which would imply she was lying in that point too that she was just assuming that that dante is seeing something realish because he's been infected with a divinity cluster at that point um the there's a question there of perhaps an unreliable witness which one dante yes or i mean it's I mean, yes, it's, he could be an unreliable witness there. He was talking to himself, after all. Well, maybe. Maybe he was talking to himself, but maybe he wasn't, just because the person telling him that was telling him that he was talking to himself. Because because now we know that if you have, in fact, been infected with a divinity cluster, you can, in fact, really reach across time and talk to dead people. So there might have been some verisimilitude there that beyond just what he thought it was i mean i you know if 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 a if a ghost materialized in front of me i don't believe in ghosts so i'm going to i'm going to work on the assumption that this is my own mind falling apart or a hallucination or a trick or so, you know i'm going to i'm going to fall back to an explanation that i can deal with that's that's human nature. Dante has been talking to Penny in The Walkman, and he knows that he's sort of not really talking to Penny. So I could see how you would automatically extrapolate that, but I I don't know. But but why would he why would he suddenly remember or in or even make up whole cloth the idea that Penny was injecting herself with the Divinity Cluster? Because that idea had not been planted in his head at that point. No. Right? I mean, he, he, that, he, that literally came out of his own soul-searching in that, in that state. Was that suddenly it's like, wait a minute. This has got something to do with the Divinity Cluster. It's like, okay. Uh, which makes me think there's some truth to it. Okay. Which then we further on, then we, we further on see that there was truth to it. Penny really did do that. So then we have a different un- unreliable witness. Penny, in that case. Yes. Hmm. 
Anyway, I think, I, I think, you know, I, I do appreciate that Dante was crushed by that. Didn't think it was a particularly compelling bit of acting on his part, but I did know what he was trying to do. So, uh, I, I did get that. Um, his, his whole, <laughs> everything falls down around him. I, I mean, it is, there is that whole, is Penny really a different person than you thought she was? It, it's kind of hard to believe that she, that she was that duplicitous, that that unethical, and that Dante was completely completely blind. No, <laughs> no. Hmm. Uh, come to think of it, Dante completely blind to things is actually his default mode. So, maybe he was yeah, so maybe. busy, maybe so busy farming his wheat. Yes, I guess, I guess that that could be it. Yeah. Okay. Why does Tosca want Travis? The um, well, if you remember uh, back to uh, Dark and Stormy Night, then I remember um, what did Darius say? Say when he was talking to the computer right before his shuttle blew up. Um, I'll have T Earl Grey hot. I don't know. No, he said he put a tracer. He said that uh, that uh, Dante Montana would lead the orchard to the chosen one. This um, he, that Travis slash Zephyrin is the first naturally occurring manifestation of the divinity cluster. Well, of course, the orchard wants it. That certainly implies that Darius knows what the aliens plan to do. Yes. That's my understanding of Darius New and he and Navarre. I don't know how many others in that little, that apparently losing side of the orchard uh, were um, trying to stave that off. And and how were they trying to stave that off? I'm not entirely clear on what they had for strategy. It did involve apparently triumphing over uh, the forces of uh, Tosca and of Paquette. And... They, Tosca and Paquette, are welcoming the change. No, they're trying. Yes, they are. See, all this, all this makes far more sense. <laughs> I can't believe I used that sentence, but all right, we'll try that. I'll go with it. I'll run with it. It makes far more sense if you think the divinity cluster is going to give you godlike powers. It makes no sense at all if you realize that the Divinity Cluster is going to cause you to be killed and taken over by an extra-dimensional alien that's going to inhabit your body, which is, I believe, what I get out of Eccleston's... That's what he said, yes. Yes, it's not transformation. It is, in fact, actually, basically, we're being used as incubators to... It's not even... It's not even to bring forth new life. It's to resurrect. It's in the title itself. It's to resurrect the other aliens. And that raises another question. Which is? If these other aliens are extra intradimensional beings that can see and exist through all time. And I know we've gotten that as well, right? Right. What is what actually is resurrection? If you're everywhere at all time, what exactly does resurrection mean? How how can you have an end that needs a new beginning? It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> right? That's that's linear thinking. Th- these are non-linear beings. This is one of my complaints about uh, Deep Space Nine. Is that the you've prophets. got the wormhole aliens, the prophets? They're non-linear. We can't even. 
we can't even write about nonlinear things in a nonlinear way because we can't conceive of it. And and this is, oh, well, they're going to resurrect. It's like, resurrect? They're all time. They're all place. They're all. They don't need to... Re- it implies you're dying and you need to be reborn or you're dead and you need to come back to life or... And that would, and that is at a moment and place in time, and we know that as soon as they do that, they'll go out and they'll be in all moments and all places in time again. I, I, it just, it's like I, okay. That is a term from a linear perspective. Yeah, um, and it, and it's it's not just that because that's what Eccleston, who should have some nonlinear conceptualization but you can see how but you can see how his experience in nonlinear dimensions has treated him not well not well admittedly although he's doing a lot better in the second episode well towards the end of the second episode i should say uh than he was towards the beginning um but maybe he was just you know just back and still yeah trying to trying to get his his uh 3d legs again um and uh, I can also I um, assume that these aliens at one point were indeed corporeal, and uh, after all, um, it, I can't think of uh, spiritual beings having DNA, right? Yeah. So, in some sense, though, it's so it's a resurrection of a corporeal form. I, uh, yeah. I mean, it, obviously, we could be being told things that are not true. But yes, the old unreliable when, witness problem. When when you're when you're dealing with a story, and you know you you you're telling one story, and then halfway through, and I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening here, but I'm using it as an example. You're telling one story, and and halfway through, you completely change it, and you go, "Well, wait a minute, you said it go, I lied." <laughs> that is that is not good storytelling it may be reality but it's not good storytelling and and you know the boy can see all time zephram can see all time well then why did he need dante to find to get the disc to zoom in on penny couldn't he zoom in on penny the moment she died he knew right where that was couldn't i mean he remembers it all (laughs) time isn't Time well, isn't the thing for well, them. Seeing, so, uh, well, seeing it is not the same as traveling in it. But surely... And besides, we already know that Zephyrin slash Travis is not fully powered, if you'll pardon the expression, because he can't even see the seeds anywhere into the sun. Well, I didn't think he knew he had that power until uh, until yeah. right then, yeah. But, and, uh, but then he couldn't, even when he found out he supposedly had it, he still couldn't make it work. We clearly can't see the future, <laughs> so or he would know that 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 was a thing. But I, yeah, I mean, you get into that; it, it, it is a it's an issue. I, I'm just going to say while I'm thinking about it, uh, Dante's penny disc. Yes, I love the fact that they kept calling that square circuit board a disc. A disc. <laughs> so like that is that is scriptwriter and prop department not on the same page. <laughs> There's my disc. Hmm. Disc does not mean the same in your universe as it does in my universe. <laughs> Got it. Yes. Oh, um, I have something here. Um, I noticed um, a few nips and tucks going into the Redux editions. Okay. 
uh, in Resurrection, there is a cut where um, my brain filled in the scene, and I thought, wait a minute, I didn't just see that. Um, and that's when uh, Travis is on the bridge of the Transutopian, and uh, Percy asks him a question, and he doesn't answer, and then we get a cut. And in the original episode, in the original version of the episode, Percy commented on that. And he still didn't answer the question. Um, also, um, at the be- also at the begin, there's a cut at the beginning of Resurrection. There is a, and interestingly enough, there is a that scene is in the preview at the end of Travis. So we got previewed but not seen. Um, and it's the scene in the bar where Hippolyto, who was the one asking people to come up and sing. Um, was talking to Navarre on on the little monitor off to the side. Mm. And Eccleston showed up and um, zapped him and killed him, vaporized him. Is that Was that the puff of smoke? Yes, that was it. But that was in the original. It's in the, pre, and it's, it's in the preview at the end of Travis, and it's not in the Redux version of Resurrection. So I'm not sure what was happening there. Trying to make Eccleston a nicer guy? Um, I guess. Um, but then why show it in the preview? I I did think there was a little something weird there because I was uh, I I felt like I blinked or something because Eccleston was you know on the screen twinkle twinkle the guy was talking and then there was a little smoke in the air and no Eccleston and I thought oh did he just disappear in a puff of smoke okay he that why not you know. Uh, but I could, yeah, okay. Huh. Okay, and interesting on that point of of Hippolyto, that little that little bit part, the actor playing him was Patrick, and I'll spell the last name as I'm not, as I'm, as I'm not sure how to pronounce it, M-A-L-A-K-I-A-N, Malakian, Malakian, I don't know. Anyhow, he is, he was the director of Resurrection and of six other episodes. Um, he directed the first episode, the, the the Divinity Cluster. He went on to direct Siren's Song, Past Lives, Cell Game, Goodbye So Long, and Half Dense Players. Hmm. Most of which are referenced in the two-part finale. Well, I, I guess that could depend on how they do it, but typically they don't assign directors that way, so... She, um, I mean, he wouldn't. Nor the director wouldn't normally get a say in an episode. And say, well, I want the one that references all my old episodes. So, coincidence or just that they liked him for? Yeah, yeah he directed about one third of the first season. And I think he might have been saying something in this episode. He said, "I'll be in it. If you gotta kill me." And they killed. I have to come back. <laughs> then we didn't even get to see it. They took it out in the Redux version. So, yeah, all right. Okay, let's talk the family drama. I, I, I in some ways, think that... <laughs> I think this is... It's hilarious in its way. Because Dante's been warned so many times over. And I don't know what the audience expectation was. But my expectation is that if he ever found Travis, Travis would be a raider scum. <laughs> That's assuming that the Raiders are are scum. And 
there there was never any doubt in my mind that this was not going to go the way he expected. This was not going to be, oh, thank you, Dad, I've just been pining away for you. It was definitely going to be just like every other Raider we'd ever seen. And it's like, you know, that was my liberation day. And uh, now I'm going to kill you. And so considering that Dante's hatred of Raiders, I would have thought that that, I would have thought that that realization would have hit him harder than it did. Uh, in much this kind of the same way it did Percy. Man, Percy, but you'd think somewhere along the line, Percy would have cottoned on to it, just like Dante should have cottoned on to it along the way. Percy should have been, you know, like, you know, when you find him, Dante, he's going to be Raider scum, right? She seems surprised by it. Dante seems surprised by it. What would have made this work, what could have made this work for me, is if when Dante finds Zephram and the Raiders, he actually realizes that the Raiders, like everybody else in the galaxy, isn't supposed to be a cartoon villain. That they're real people leading real normal lives, going and their hopes and their dreams and their their aspirations for a better life for their kids and a better life for themselves, and that they're not just cartoon villains. But we don't get that. They are cartoon villains, and and Zephram is maybe not quite as cartoonish as they are, because it turns out instead of him being an ordinary raider, he's an extraordinarily divine raider. And so where they went with that just hit a sour note for me. Because Dante's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> Percy is Percy. And uh, in a way, I almost respect her more than Dante because at least she stuck to her guns. He's Raider scum. But I don't think that's why she did it. I think she did it because she was jealous of Dante's getting his son back. And I don't get my parents back. And now I'm, I'm, I'm going to get kicked off the ship. Which, I mean, cold, Dante. Cold. I mean, really, really cold. You know, maybe it's time for you to start looking for your own life. Oh, man. Got my son back. You are spare baggage, girl. Off. Go. Done. He, he never fails to impress me with his absolute lack of tact, <laughs> wit, uh, subtlety. <laughs> it's like, um, I, I really... I mean, I'm not, you know... For for all my for all my complaints about Percy, I'd have put her off the ship years ago because that would have been the best thing for her, right? She definitely yeah. needed to get out of that environment. So this is he's made the right decision, but man, did he make the right decision at the wrong time? It's sending all the wrong signals. You, I, <laughs> you're not my real daughter, <laughs> but she is. You know, I mean, yes, she's his niece, but no, she's his adopted daughter. In in every in every way except perhaps on a piece of paper, but for whatever they're there and and you know the scene when they hug and they finally say they love each other. I mean, I I really would have liked to have seen a little bit of affection between the two of them prior to that as well. It's like you're a pain in the ass, Percy, but I love you. 
yeah, you're a dictatorial, overbearing, stuffy nose, but I love you too, or anything. But it just, it, to me, it was like two people trapped together who could never escape. And so when they get to this point, it just kind of... Do you uh, do you not remember some of the uh, scenes from the previous twenty episodes? I never saw anything that looked like actual affection between those two. I can think of a couple. Could could be the acting was so bad that I didn't see it. But but honestly, uh, no. Luckily, no, there was the, one. Their, in their relationship is so is so contrived and unrealistic that it just. It doesn't it does i mean sure dante always seems to be trying to rescue percy uh whenever she's in trouble i get that but i don't know if that's love or whether that's guilt you know, there was i a, can't i can't rescue my son but i can rescue her you know, there was that's a, what it always felt like there me. was a scene in black light where he said how much he cared for her and it's just the one i could bring up the top of my head well <sighs> It, but it, it but Dante Dante yeah. uh, strikes me as the kind of man who just maybe doesn't know how to express himself so well. Well, there's there's definitely there's definitely that. But yeah, it just it, but it bad, such bad timing, such bad timing. And of course, you know we're trapped. We're we're engines crippled. They're going to destroy the Earth. We're in desperate need. Let's stop and have a little moment and say, by the way, you know. It, it's probably time to start thinking about your own life. Like, really? And and the, also the bit where he argues with Zephram about the, that that argument was so contrived that I, I, I didn't know what to make of it. I mean, it seems like Dante can't do anything. I mean, that's, you know, par for the course. Dante can't do anything. He can't fix the ship. That has to be Percy. He, he the communications are broken. He can't fix communications. Dante can't do anything. I mean, legitimately... They are crippled, and right at the moment, they're out of ideas, they're out of resources, they are in a bad place. Got it. Totally and absolutely. And they know a terrible thing is going to happen, and Zephram comes along and says, well, you're just not doing enough. Like, Dante's reaction was all wrong. It should have been, what should we do? You're the leader of the Raiders, obviously you're the ideas, man, you see all of time. What can I do? Yeah, I'm not saying he had to take it necessarily gracefully but i'm the captain of this ship and this is now totally totally wrong totally out of place totally mischaracterized and i don't know what the point of it was because then he just later comes back and goes yeah i'm sorry about that okay like just to kill time just to i I get they're having difficulty or they should have difficulties they're two people who don't know each other and you know obviously dante has a heck of a lot of expectations for yes. what he's supposed to get out of, out of uh, his son, air quotes Travis, yeah, and uh, he's he's not going to get that. But you know, it it, it just was. I, I don't get where they're going there, and, and then it didn't seem to come to any kind of any kind of fruition, other than just okay, well, we'll walk it back now. I have a question. Hmm? Remember the scene in the bar with well, Luke and Navarre were, were in the bar. Yeah. And Tosca walked in. Says, "Good to see you again, Luke." Yeah, she's never seen her before. There is, there is a, there is a. Um, let's see if I can find it in my notes here. Yeah, okay. So the other thing about this was that she was awfully pally pally with Navara 
when they got to the bar. They seemed to have a lot more understanding between them than the limited amount of time that they've had together, considering she'd never met him prior to the previous episode when he had to contact her and say, you don't know me, but yeah. I'm a friend of your father's. It it definitely felt like it definitely felt like Lucretia was up a whole nother level in this conspiracy in this episode when once she got to the bar all of a sudden. It was like he he should be explaining to you the basics of what's going on here, not you're in on it. So you're right, when Tosca comes in, there was a feeling like there was that sort of well, as you recall, last time we had this conversation or Whatever it was, yes, there was that. I agree that there was that. And I, it didn't strike me as interesting. It striked me, striked me? It striked me? It struck me as, as, as um, mischaracterization again. Or maybe in universe, Tosca is saying something that wasn't true. I mean, I can believe Tosca lies. But the way, <laughs> sure, sure, we can just assume that anything any no reality I, to it. But yeah, I can assume know. that Tosca knows exactly what Luke looks like, and uh, knows about her through Darius. And okay, I can I can completely yeah, can say that. that in character, in character, it's nice to see you again, Lucretia. I've never seen you in my life. That's Lucretia. To a T. That is straightforward. Don't give me any of your crap, Lucretia. She no. She took that. You're absolutely right. She took that statement as if it was absolutely true. It's like, oh, I know who that is. I, I yeah, uh, Tosca. I mean, it, it it all it all did look that way. But again, I just I I just haven't. I have no faith in the, the writers at this point of maintaining an internal consistency from even one episode to the next so it's like okay I, they just weren't talking to each other the writers or, or but yeah no i did i didn't I, I i did note it i didn't know what to make of it other than just it feels like a continuity problem but or could have perhaps been something in the translation to redux we have had those there was no meet no prior meeting of them in the original version but right, but that is a thing that has plagued the series throughout for all throughout our entire run here on this podcast is that every once in a while I'm like, it just feels like there was something and then you say, Oh yeah, well there was this scene where Rodolfo said this, or there was this scene where they cut that did this, and you go, Oh, see that it makes more sense in the uncut form. This could have been that. Right? It, it could so when I look at it I go, It's 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 a continuity glitch, it's it's part of the edit, it's part of bad planning it's just i don't know but it it you know it felt like a mistake not you know and and then there's no logical reason why tosca would say something like that it's a lie i mean what, what kind of you know but anyway and uh, speaking of cuts made between the original and the redux versions at the beginning of the 2000 version of resurrection uh, we have rudolfo's opening transmission in which mm -hmm. he notes that apparently he has learned that uh, Dante has reunited with his son. And then Rodolfo says to whomever he's talking to in those transmissions that he's heard rumors about Travis. So, and that Dante may 
be surprised to find out what his son really is. And so it's so in that context, even Rodolfo sort of knows, but Dante doesn't. Uh, okay, opening episode, opening episode, the Man Trap, Star Trek, the original series. Yes, one of the one of the epi- um one of the captain's logs goes something along the lines of um, Captain Kirk says, "Unbeknownst to us, we were each seeing." A different person or something like that yeah so in other words the, the captain's log is substantially post what happened and it's narrating and i don't and the way it's phrased it it really just sounds like a mistake that they shouldn't the captain shouldn't be giving his log <laughs> because he he's saying he he's saying in the first person uh on board the Enterprise, Mr. Spock is in command yeah, while yeah. going and saying, we are on the planet. And yet he knows things that he can't know yeah. till later. The, the, and the, I feel like the, anything Rudolfo yeah. says is just, you know, is there for the audience, it not in-universe fact. Yeah, it's, 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 his um, opening transmissions function much like Kirk's uh, captain's logs. And speaking yeah. of those Kirk captain logs, I've often wondered, how was he recording those? Um. He had a uh, little um, little Walkman that you talked about. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It was uh, you do occasionally see him do the captain's log at the chair and uh, click the button, but uh, he never actually dictates much on it. But yeah, no, it, it just you know it, it's a device, and so the fact that you would come into an episode, a two part episode. And Rodolfo would say, and I've heard that tra- it may not be you know, well, quite thing. I don't know if we're really supposed to believe that. I don't think we're supposed to think too deeply about that and go, oh, Rodolfo's in on the conspiracy, too. I think it's just, no, Rodolfo is talking to the audience and he is our confidant to remind us of what we should have gleaned in the last episode. Which someone may have missed than the previous week when that episode aired. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it is almost meta-universe conversation there in the story. And again, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I feel like we have not missed anything by not having uh, Rudolfo, who even in his limited appearances in the show so far, uh, has impressed me as being another character I'm not going to like. Um, so we should mention Dante gets the ship in this. Yeah. He never opened the message. He never opened the message. Well, there you go. I don't think that changes anything. I think he still gets the ship, but, uh, well, there you go. Um, no, which means um, that North Dante gone means Percy gets the ship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. I did feel like the whole bit about calling them the resistance in in this episode suddenly made it, you know, it. it I didn't get that from two episodes back, and and I, I from two episodes back there are factions within the orchard that each have different agendas, and by now it's like no no there's the orchard and there's us plucky band of rebels that are trying to stop them, <laughs> and it's like. Huh. I I totally didn't uh, didn't get that because that would imply that Tosca was the top dog 
or you know working with the top dog she could be darth vader i don't know but you know to somebody else's emperor um but that was that felt weird too that felt out of place yeah i noticed the the term showing up and just, yeah, yeah okay. it's just kind of out of the blue. If you want, hey, listen, Luke. If you want to go join the resistance, you go ahead. It's like what? <laughs> the rebel army. Well, okay. It's <laughs> like fine. Whatever. I didn't get that. I, I, in a way, I thought he was being sarcastic uh, at that moment. Not sarcastic. That's not the right word. But you know, kind of not making fun of it either. But he's playing with his words. Let's let's put it that way. I, I guess you know, I Lucretia. Agree. In the course of the story, Lucretia puts herself in harm's way for uh, the Montanas. She uh, she has the opportunity to leave. Dante is, you know, got, no, I'm staying with you guys. I've caused problems. I'm going to do this thing. Great. She goes in uh, to rescue Percy and Dante when she knows Tosk is on the way to do them harm. And there is absolutely no reason to believe that she wouldn't be killed long right. before she ever got there because the, the raiders would just shoot that shuttle down and that would be the end of it. I mean, there were, there were 50 ships flying around at all times. So no reason to believe she'd even make it to the shuttle bay. You know, she was, she was stand up in this the whole way. She played straight with them, as far as we can tell, until they got to the bar and suddenly it sounded like she was in... She was deeper in this thing than she had originally admitted, but okay. And she tried again to be, you know, I'm I'm a sympathetic ear to talk to Percy. And again, Percy is a cartoon character. No growth, no no nuance, no nothing. We're not friends. Get out. I I can't take these characters seriously luke is the closest one to a real person in this entire show and that is a serious serious flaw and you i just wanted to smack percy again at that moment it's just like this is the moment where you just shut up and say thank you but she she can't um because she's a cartoon and you know they they they, they all are okay um let's see i would be remiss if i did not mention that i i have gone through this entire series and it wasn't until this episode that i realized just how dumb the doors on the transutopian are the doors the doors yes Remember, we, I, I know I've had this, if you listen, you've, you've listened to the podcast, you know yes. that's my pet peeve. Stupid doors, doors on yes. spaceship. The stupid doors on the spaceships where Dante has to go, uh, watch your head as you walk through the door to your new quarters. It's like, who makes doors that have a sharp, pointy bit sticking down In going middle. into your luxury cabin? Uh, ah, stupid doors. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Get, you can add that for your add that to your door con. It's my yes, uh, and that is a little, a little, uh, little Buck Rogers reference for you. And amazingly, basically, that is the first time I noticed it, and they drew my attention to it. So I'll, I don't know why that's the first time I noticed. Maybe they just walked through the doors right, and they never had to call your attention to it, and it just okay, fine. But I just walk yeah. to the left or to the right, you know. 
Yeah, you just walk through the center of the door. But yeah, they, they, they were actually, once he pulled it in, I'm like, oh yeah, that is definitely health and safety violation. That, that, they would have so many lawsuits with those doors. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, here's, uh, here's something here. Um, uh, here, here. Here's an example of what got cleaned up in Redux. And it's the sort of thing I noticed after watching the original and watching the Redux. In Resurrection, in the original, um, the sequence of events was this. An orchard shuttle approached the tulip when the tulip was at Mars. And then Eccleston transported the transutopian to the outer threshold of the moon. Mm-hmm. And... Then we had a scene where Tosca, talking to Seneca, um, ordered him to oversee the extraction of Travis, but not to destroy the ship. Then Tosca ordered operatives of the orchard to extract Travis. That was the sequence in the original episode. Okay. In the Redux version, uh, Tosca never ordered the raiders to extract Travis. She says they just don't destroy the ship. So she didn't order two factions to go there to extract Travis. So it's a little bit of cleaning up of the storyline. Yeah, you have to wonder what, why is Seneca going along with this? Credit expects to get something out of it. He doesn't seem like a guy does anything except on a quid pro quo basis. But you see my point, right? I mean, right. The, the whole thing seems to be that the raiders want the seeds, but the raiders have the seeds. And the raiders didn't even have to deal with the orchard to get the seeds. Right. They got them from Dante. Now they've got their mission, and their plan is to terraform the earth and... Or do something to it. Yeah, and if it's to destroy the earth, why? That, that also make you know, apart from the question of, you kill the millions of people who are there apparently already trying to terraform the earth back to earth. But it, it, it raises the question of why they are trying to do that. And another thing that would have been helpful is if, I don't know, um, if say, say, for example, we firmly established that the terraforming seeds were in some way actually tied to the divinity cluster in such a way that killing that infecting the millions of people on earth would have caused enough people to transform to cause the cascade that Eccleston was talking about and then that would explain why Eccleston was trying to stop that as well but we didn't get that they didn't tie those two events together and if they had it would have it would have made more sense. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and then, it, you know, then it would have, then you could go either way. You, you could say, well, you know, he wants, Seneca wants a planet. Okay. Then he thinks the seeds work. Well, Seneca wants to cause mankind to transcend to this other form of life because he's crazy like the people at the orchard. Okay. And, and all right, maybe they're not crazy. Although, I, you know, maybe they, they still don't, Maybe they don't have an understanding of what Eccleston has the understanding. But I kind of got the feeling that they did. Well, I think of the orchard as being not crazy, just terribly misguided. Right, but, but you, you, get my, you get my point there. It's like Eccleston yeah. wanted to transform, 
right? Until he got that. And then he learned, no, no, don't want to do that. Bad, don't want to do that. It would be logical to assume that the orchard, not knowing what the transformation meant, would still be looking forward to it, just as Eccleston had been. But it's kind of implied in the dialogue in this episode from what like Eccleston says or some of the others say is no, they actually want this to happen as if they want the alien race to be resurrected to happen, not they want to become godlike beings. Exactly. And so then you ask the question, like, how did they even know that was what was going to happen? And why do you want to have aliens burst out of you, not burst physically burst out of you, but dimensionally burst out of you and, and replace you. It it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any, it doesn't make enough sense that there should be enough people in the orchard in power to be the dominant power and then to need a plucky resistance band of rebels to, to fight them off. So it, it was, yeah. We're, t- we're talking about mad scientist. Um, Right. See my see my um, commentary on uh, practically any Dalek plan in in, you know, modern Doctor Who. It's like we're going to destroy reality. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'm not buying that. (laughs) It's like I can't buy that. I, I simply cannot buy. Or the Time Lord plot to end time. Yes. Yes. I can't buy that. That 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 is a that is a sale too far. I will not accept that as a valid story plot because you know the Daleks and the Time Lords are not stupid. They have to know that will destroy them too, <laughs> and therefore this is not you know a a single person. Uh, a, you you have to. You could possibly sell it because you have like the Jonestown story where you could sell that a group of people might be willing to go along with it. But the fact is, even in Jonestown, not everyone was willing to go along with it. They didn't get any choice in the matter, <laughs> right? Sure. There, were, there, were, there were people there making them drink the Kool-Aid. Some drank it because they wanted to and some drank it because if they didn't, they were still going to drink the Kool-Aid. So uh, it probably wouldn't be as pleasant. So, well, to be technically, yeah. to be, to be technical, it was not Kool Aid. It was a flavor raid, but still. Well, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> Jim Jones was, it, was what so flavor. Flavor aid was it? And I don't know, but Do we was, know? no. But uh, I'm sure someone does. But I remember he was so cheap he didn't buy the name brand. <laughs> well, they may not have had it down there in whatever part of South Guyana. America he was in. Guyana. There we go. Uh, that was Africa. Guyana is Africa. Okay. Um, Oh yeah, I'm sure Kool Aid's not down there. Like, but um, yeah, so <laughs> like you know that 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 plan kind of doesn't doesn't work for me. I I don't have anything else specifically on this episode that I can think of. I, I think it no. these episodes I've so covered my notes. I, I will say a, a couple things about the series as a whole. Um, so we've alluded to this, if not outright stated it, that, you know, Star Hunter was Star Hunter. And then it came back as Star Hunter 2300, which is basically a revamped version of the show. And and we don't need to go into 
any of the details now. We can take a look at that when we get to Series 2 of Star Hunter as to why they revamped it, what the pressures were that better. But the point is, it's basically a different show and at, at many levels. And then Star Hunter Redux is the the original creator trying to unify these two disparate holes. But I think sitting here at the end of season one, we have seen the end of what would have been Star Hunter. Yes. The original series. And it, there, there are a couple things, and I, I've, I've hit them in this episode, but it, it comes across. I have not enjoyed <laughs> watching the show. Um, if, if the listeners haven't picked that up, I, it, it just doesn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about Firefly, but I could appreciate the, some of the writing, some of the ideas, some of the things here. I just feel like they just haven't, not only have they not got it, it feels like they think they've got it and they haven't. And that's kind of. That's almost a embarrassing sort of, you know, it's like that person who's talking like an intellectual and they keep mispronouncing some obvious word and you realize that they, they haven't got a clue what the word means. And it, it's, it's, a, it's almost a cringe when you go, it's like, oh, oh, no, bad. And it's not bad like The Star Lost, which is just ooh, ooh. hilariously comically bad. Right. I mean, it's just so bad. You have to laugh at it. I don't I don't get that because we have Percy constantly coming in here, raising my blood pressure. And I, I, I would, you know, if I were the producer of the show, I mean, I or, or perhaps the people over the top, I could definitely see some things I would change and big time if you were allowed to come back. And I'm talking changes as big as the changes from Buck Rogers season one to season two. Big, big changes. Those changes were terrible. I'm just going to say that right now in case anyone thinks I'm saying Buck Rogers season two is better than Buck Rogers season one. That is not a true statement. But I mean, it might as well be two different shows. And I I know that they're not going to take my first piece of advice. So... (laughs) They took my second piece of advice, but they didn't take my first piece of advice. Um, so I, I feel like we need to look at this at, at the whole and say, I, I think it's I, I think it's a bit of a miss. And I, you know, and this, since they left it on a cliffhanger, uh, a, a, a quadruple cliffhanger that really does feel like a cliffhanger where they could write out any one or more of the characters. It, it does feel like a, OK, contract negotiation cliffhanger. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I do have to, I do have to bring up one more thing. All right, Dante going back in time to the moment the Raiders attacked. That's the end. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's that's truly hilarious because from everything we see about here, you have to like wish for it, right? That that's really what they're doing. They're wishing when they're doing the Eccleston thing, <laughs> right? They're you know think of the thing you love. You're you're you're. You're locking on to that thing that you need. And the thing that Dante locks on to is that time in his life when before the Raiders came, when he was with Travis, when Penny was still alive, when he was ignorant of what she was doing. It's that time. And that's where he goes. Boom. But 
could you not have picked something that wasn't 35 seconds before the Raiders arrived? <laughs> Are we in a time loop or can he change this now? You know, I have, I, I know the answer, but I don't think you want me to give a spoiler. No, 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 no. Um, uh, well, but the question is not that that is in a way the spoiler, but I'm asking and, the question and, 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 the, un, the unaltered uh, the timeline. If they had come back with the same cast and uh, the immediate continuation without having to do the significant rejiggering that they did of the show, would they have would they have gone there? Um, I, I don't know. I, it's just, <laughs> it was just like, ha, 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 ha. In fact, I called it. I called it as soon as he woke up and there was Penny at the desk. And he goes, hey, young guy, or whatever, young man. And Travis is loving. Like, oh, it's the moment before the Raiders arrive. <laughs> it's the first good laugh I got out of the show in hours. It's <laughs> just like, ah, uh, that was... That was as good as holding your press conference as a Four Seasons Landscaping Company. <laughs> uh, now, listeners, I do want you to know that, you know, we've worked out the schedule and with the airing schedule, we expect this episode to end at about the end of the year 2021. <laughs> and we are recording this um, not even at the end of 2020. Um, I, I think you might have picked up on that that topical reference uh, I made there about something that happened yesterday. So you can figure out when we're shooting, when we're recording this. So um, we are going to take a break from uh, Star Hunter. This is, this is a thing that we plan to start in 2021 <laughs> before this. So, so going back before this with some of the shorter series, if we have a two series, we're going to break it up and we're going to take breaks between the seasons uh, so we're going to do that. And, uh, so it's so far out. I can't tell you what is going to be next on the schedule, but, uh, we will be back for star hunter series two. I can't give you a date on that just yet, but, um, uh, uh, we, we, are, we are, we are going to do it. We're going to, I, I, I'm, I'm in this for the run. So I, and I, I'm very interested actually to see if they manage to make improvements. To, to my mind, improvement to my mind. I can tell you, right. that, without fear of contradiction, and purely on objective grounds, that the um, second season is very different. Okay, well, I. Uh, I in I, fact, I, I've been. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm actually prefer the second season. Well, that's good. I mean, that that's good. I mean, you 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 put it out there. I mean, somebody must have liked it enough that they made a second season. And I know you like the show and I'm not trying to belittle no. that. It's like, you know how the ratings game is. There's lots of shows people like that don't get renewed. Indeed. And then there are shows that get renewed. You go like, they had 2 million people watching the show. How, how did they get that show renewed? It, it, it has to do with the network it airs on. It has to do with the cost. It has to do with the contracts. It has to do with, with all sorts of things. It's just not about the rating. And, and it's go, okay, well, all right. I, I, this show has something, has something to make it go 44. So, uh, anyway, yeah. Kenneth, thank you for joining me for the, for this, uh, this first part of Star Hunter Redux. My pleasure. And listeners, I hope you will join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at fusionpatrol.com. 
Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series, Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, if the time winds are willing, we'll be looking at the Doctor Who episode, Galaxy 4.